0: We're talking draft, free agency, and all things Giants with pro football focuses. Analyst Sam Monson, that's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked on Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast family, your team every day. I'm your host, Patricia Traina. Happy Friday to everybody. And as promised, I have as a special guest today, Sam Monson, a pro football focus. We're going to talk draft. We're going to talk free agency, giant needs, salary cap. All kinds of great stuff. Sam's a fountain of knowledge, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have him on the program, I believe, for the first time. I think this is our first time together, Sam. So, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. All right. right. Let's jump right in, Sam. So uh, free agency getting underway on Monday, the legal, quote-unquote, legal tampering (laughs) period, (laughs) for lack of a better term for that. But um, I want to start off by getting your take on the strength of the free agent class versus the strength of the draft class and how it relates to the Giants' needs.
1: Yeah, I think obviously it depends what positions you're looking at, um, specifically whether the draft is stronger, whether free agency is stronger. Generally, though, I think it's a pretty weak free agent group. Um, It was obviously made to be a little bit weaker as well with the franchise tags that that took some of the better players off the market. Um, But it is not a particularly strong group of free agents, particularly at the top where, you know, the the marquee free agent signings are are usually around. There aren't that many of those guys this season. But I think there are quite a lot of of lower price, you know, bargain types of free agents that will be able to come in and help teams throughout the NFL and sort of address positions of need. And then when you get to the draft, I think that's very dependent on what position you're looking at. There are some spots where the draft, I think, is very strong, particularly at the top and then other positions where it is not a particularly good draft class.
0: When you look at the Giants' needs, I think we can probably all agree that linebacker is one, cornerback's probably another, interior defensive line depth, interior offensive line depth, receiver a big one. I mean, you know, obviously if you're Joe Shane, you don't want to go crazy spending in free agency. But when you look at the draft class, there, there seems to be some of these positions just seem to be really deep. Like the cornerback class is said to be deep. The running yeah. back class is said to be deep. The interior offensive line class, I believe, is said to be deep. I mean, do you see better value going draft as opposed to free agency in some of those positions? Or is it about equal?
1: I think it, because we're probably not talking about the kind of big marquee free agents, the guys that typically command the kind of crazy money those are the contracts when you look back at them on a, in a few years' time that everyone kind of looks back and goes, ah, I kind of wish we hadn't done that. You know, that, that one didn't really work out well. But the free agent deals that are always the best value are like the second wave of free agent deals, the cheaper money that is just better spent on players that can still be important starters or solid contributors, but aren't going to break the bank and, and reset the market at their, their position. Um, and And... We've sort of reached a trend now, I think, where teams are actually starting to target those guys in the first wave of free agency. So they're not waiting for the second wave. They're not waiting until the marquee guys get out of the way and then come in with the the second wave. They're going straight for them. So look at the Bengals last year where they needed to overhaul their offensive line. And on day one of free agency, pretty early, they had locked in two starting offensive linemen that would have been seen as sort of tier two free agents, but they did it right away. And I think the Giants should be looking to do a, a similar kind of thing. Um, and because I think they have so many needs on this team, it would be easy to look at what happened last year and get a little bit carried away and sort of say, we're a player or two away from contending. But I think everybody is aware that they kind of overachieved a bit last season. They still have some work to do with this roster. They can afford to target, you know, multiple or the same position in multiple ways and, and get free agents and draft players in and, and try and really make a, a big leap forward.
0: I want to talk about the receiver uh, group for a moment here because probably this is one of the weakest receiver groups in free agency that I can recall. Yeah. There have been mixed um, opinions about the draft class at receiver. I think it's heavily favors the slot receiver as opposed to the big X receiver that the Giants need. What about the potential trade market? How is that shaping up, and do you think there are some guys there that maybe the Giants should be looking at?
1: Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is the one kind of big name out there that's clearly available from a trade standpoint and does tick those boxes of being that true number one X receiver, that alpha that can come in and completely transform a receiver core. I don't know if there's as many options as there were the last couple of seasons where we've seen some sort of huge trades made. But, you know, the Bengals are talking as if they're going to keep T. Higgins in addition to the, the Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase contracts that are going to be coming down the line. I would certainly, if I'm the Giants, be testing them on that, you know, pick up the phone, offer them a first-round pick for T. Higgins. I think is you know there, there wasn't a better first-round pick spent a year ago than the one used to acquire A.J. Brown for the Philadelphia Eagles. T. Higgins could potentially come in and do the same thing for the Giants. And if it was going to cost a first-round pick, I think that would be well worth um, doing. And it would be kind of a profit for the Bengals in terms of draft capital that he spent to get him. So as much as they're saying they want to keep him around, if you're the Giants, I would absolutely make that offer and, and see if they're bluffing or if they're, they would be true to their word. Another receiver I would be intrigued to inquire about is brandon Ayuk from the 49ers they have you know an incredible array of talent at the skill position players they're not going to be able to pay them all you know george kittle Debo samuel brandon Ayuk, christian mccaffrey who they traded for they've got so many of these guys i i would be interested to see if they would be willing to move a guy like Ayuk in a trade so i think yeah you're not going to get that guy in free agency you know they just don't exist um Jacoby Myers is maybe the best free agent wide receiver in this class. And, you know, he's been shown the last few years when he's been New England's number one. He sort of used as the the reason that they need a true number one wide receiver because he's good, but he's not going to be that guy. If you want that guy, you either need to get a little bit lucky in the draft and hope that one of these guys with potential to play that way ends up turning out well quickly or go the trade route.
0: Do you think that wide receiver one is overrated? I know Joe Shane at the end of at at his season ending presser basically kind of downplayed it a little bit. Um, I I can't see why it would hurt, you know, especially if you're bringing back Saquon Barkley, you know, and everybody kind of focused on Saquon and the the receivers just, you know, there wasn't anybody who really scared anybody, but overall, would you say the position's overrated or is it getting the attention it, it deserves?
1: Yeah, I certainly don't think it's a bad thing to have, you know, a true elite number one. And we've seen the last couple of years the kind of impact it can have to bring one onto a team that didn't have one, whether it's AJ Brown, who we just talked about, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams didn't really have that kind of impact with the Raiders, but he did have that impact when he left the Packers. You know, the, the departure of Adams had that kind of um effect. Similarly, AJ Brown leaving Tennessee, same kind of thing. So I think it's always a good thing if you can add one of those guys. But I don't think you necessarily need one. You can build a very good receiving core without that sort of true number one X receiver, as long as you have, I think, all of the different kind of skill sets and and threats in the receiving core somewhere. So maybe none of these guys is that true elite number one. But if you have somebody with speed, if you have somebody that can work the slot, if you have somebody who can uh, run horizontal sort of option choice routes over the middle, as long as you've got all these pieces put together, you don't necessarily need one guy that can do it all.
0: Hey, giant fans, looking for a delicious treat, but don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a built Bar. What makes built bars so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate, which means they taste like a candy bar, but without the sugar, the calories, the fat, and all the bad stuff. Most built Bars have about 130 calories, four grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein, making them taste good, but also good for you. And now you don't have to wait any longer for a box to ship from built.com. Just pop into your local Walmart or Sam's Club and grab yourself a box. You can thank me later. Sam, just looking, uh, if we could, at um, the draft. The Giants are set to draft 25th as of right now in the first round. Usually when you get to the bottom of the first round, the grades start to cluster a little bit based on your early assessment. um, Do you see that happening to where maybe, you know, several guys are going to have the same grade forcing the giants to take uh, best position available as opposed to best player. Or do you see maybe even a scenario where the, you know, there's so many, so many guys in a cluster that maybe the giants can even afford to trade down.
1: Yeah, I, I think that second point is maybe the, the most interesting one, is when you start to reach the the late part of the first round, that's when that clustering of of prospects that you talked about suggests, well, we can trade back, pick up some extra draft capital, another pick, another swing at this, and get a player that's not materially different from the one that we might have been taking at, at the pick we stayed at. So. Absolutely. I think that teams that are positioned around the Giants just as a general concept should always be starting to look to trade down and maybe um, improve what they can get out of the draft with that with their picks. Uh, but it also means that potentially you are going to get players at certain positions where there is strength just uh, available. So I think there's going to be probably um, a corner that they like available with that pick. Maybe the Giants are slightly—they're they're more interested in interior offensive linemen more than uh, tackles. There's almost certainly going to be one of the tackles available there, but maybe that's the start of where the interior linemen start coming off the board as well, whether it's Osiris Torrance, the, the guard from Florida, um, or, or something like that. And I think potentially there'll be a really good wide receiver there as well because this draft doesn't necessarily have you know, the next Jamar chase in it, but it does have a bunch of these guys that might be going low in the first round rather than at the top of it.
0: Outside of the quarterbacks, where do you anticipate, which position that is, do you anticipate maybe there being an early run in the first round?
1: Yeah. I mean, outside of the quarterbacks, I think the first sort of non quarterback off the board is is going to be Will Anderson from Alabama. And then I think once he's gone, either edge rusher or cornerback is probably going to see a run early. I think once teams have decided now is when we can draft the first corner, I think you'll probably see a flurry of them go off the board. It's a case of when the first guy can go. And then edge rusher, I think, you know, Anderson's going to go. Tyree Jackson from Texas Tech is another guy that a lot of people think really highly of. Once he's picked, I think you might see teams kind of scrambling to get the next few guys that are ranked at that edge rusher position.
0: Let's talk about value in the draft. You know, um, obviously, if you trade down, if you're the Giants, you trade out of round, <clears throat> excuse me, the first round, you give up the fifth year option to retain the guy. But there's some value, obviously, in day two, day three. Where do you see the, the, the best value for the Giants and maybe what round right now or what position or maybe some players that you could give us to, as being, you know, really good value picks that nobody's really talking about right now?
1: Yeah. And I think the thing about the fifth year option is the strike rate on those guys lower in the first round isn't great anyway. So it it might be a sort of advantage that you that people um, maybe overrate or something you, you desperately need to have. The, the, the data says that at that stage in the first round, the chances of you actually using that fifth round or fifth year option is not as high as people think it is. So you're probably better getting the extra pick, sacrificing that fifth-year option, and then if you hit the guy, it's still a good thing. You just sort of have one year less flexibility. Um, So I think definitely trading down is always a good option at the end of the first. Yeah, I I think they're going to be in a good position to get one of these um, receivers. I think whether it's the bottom of the first round or the top of the second round, you're probably going to have seen um, Jordan Addison from USC gone Quentin Johnson from TCU, gone. Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, gone. But at that point, then you start to get into the Zay Flowers from Boston College. I think the evaluations are a little bit all over the map on him. There are some people that like him as a first-round pick. There are some people that are a little bit lower um, on him that that might have him in the second round. But I think he's going to come in and, and make a difference to an NFL team. There's also a bunch of these sort of smaller receivers at that point, Josh Downs from North Carolina, um, Tank Dell from, from Houston, this sort of group of smaller, speedy receivers that probably ply their trade in the slot at the next level, I think are all going to be good value towards the bottom of the first and top of the second rounds.
0: Do you see the NFL passing game kind of gravitating more towards the smaller slot receiver type guys, as opposed to the, you know, the big tall skyscraper guys. I mean, to me, it just seems like that's becoming, you know, less and less the case. And these slot receivers are becoming more versatile in terms of what they're asked to do.
1: I think that's part of it. The other thing is, I think it's just a supply and demand thing. Like these are the players that are coming into the NFL from college. It's been a couple of years now where, it hasn't been a particularly good group of the sort of prototypical X receiver, the guy that's six foot three, 215 pounds and, you know, runs a four three. There have been a few of those guys in each draft, but they generally haven't been the best receivers. And I, I don't know if that's a sort of trend with the college game that these slot receivers are, they're playing more in these spread offenses. They're able to sort of be the dominant force, within those offenses and therefore be the best receiver available, or if it's just a run of a couple of years where that's kind of been the case. But, you know, Ohio State had Garrett Wilson in the slot, and then they moved him out wide to accommodate Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was seen as a better option there. Like they're almost the slot guy at Ohio State is sort of becoming the feature receiver in that offense, and I don't think they're alone in in that being the dynamic.
0: Going back to the defensive side of the ball, linebackers is definitely a need for the Giants. What's your opinion overall on the draft class in, at inside linebacker?
1: Yeah, the bad news is it's it's not a good one. <laughs> our guy, uh, Mike Renner, who does the PFF draft board and is our main draft analyst, he says it's the worst linebacker group he's seen come into the league since we've been grading. So PFF started grading college in 2014. And this is the worst collection of linebackers you see coming to the league. When you look at these guys just from a body type standpoint, they're all long, thin, lightweight. They're not the sort of prototypical linebackers. And I know, you know, the Giants have moved on a bit from the days where they had this sort of six foot four, two hundred and fifty pound, like almost hard cutoff that they wouldn't look at a linebacker who didn't tick those boxes. But they still kind of want linebackers that look a little bit like that, and most of this group does not. Um, the one name I think that really helped himself with the, the combine is, is Jack Campbell, the Iowa linebacker who does tick those kind of boxes and, and had a, a really, really good workout and maybe propelled himself up towards the, top, towards the top of the linebacker group and towards the first round, given the relative lack of strength in the position.
0: Do you see maybe then a trend where safeties are starting to, to be asked to play that pseudo linebacker role?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think generally the the entire game is trending smaller and faster. You know, that, that's that been happening for a long time, and I think it's continuing to happen. It's happening at the linebacker position, but the more teams sort of zig when everybody else is zagging and start to bring in the sort of elements of power running again and the, the combinations of those wide zone schemes with the, the passing game, the Shanahan types of trees, you still need a linebacker that can bring some – you know, size to the to the equation and be able to handle himself in all those situations. And those guys don't exist very readily anymore. So yeah, I think we're definitely seeing teams either taking line or taking safeties that could potentially play linebacker or or simply using safeties in that kind of dime linebacker role in this sort of big nickel type of personnel packages and just trying to play defense like that. But I do think you potentially lose something if you can't find one of those linebackers.
0: Sam, I want to turn now to the recent activity by the Giants. They signed Daniel Jones to um, a four-year deal, $160 million, but it sounds like it's more of a two-year deal, yeah. possibly a three. I want to get your initial thoughts on the deal and, and uh, you know, the value and overall how the deal was structured. I'm sure you saw the details and all.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. They they've essentially bought themselves cap flexibility for the next couple of years um, at the cost of a greater commitment to Daniel Jones by both financially and in terms of number of years. Like to me, that the year that Daniel Jones just had, which was uh, an improvement over previous seasons, which suggested, given the help around him, that he can be the quarterback of the future um, with Brian Dayball at the helm it's tailor-made for the franchise tag, you know, for particularly the non-exclusive one, the the 30-something million dollar one. You put that that tag on him, nobody's going to give up two first-round picks for Daniel Jones, and you get one more year to see how much better he can play. If we give him a couple of wide receivers, if we continue that offensive line getting in the right direction, and year two with Brian Dayball as the head coach, let's find out where the ceiling is. Um, But that costs you... $15 Fifteen million dollars ish of salary cap space to do that. So they've essentially said we are confident enough that we believe with all those things he can be better next season and, and go in the right direction. That we're willing to to pay effectively forty eight million dollars of, of commitment and you know the extra year to get that fifteen million dollars of cap space back. Like it's an interesting sort of balance between. Like, what is the best bet to make here, which is effectively what we're talking about, like, which is more likely to happen? Daniel Jones doesn't get any better and you kind of regret the deal that you gave him or he does get better. And all of a sudden you have him on what ends up looking like a really cheap deal in a couple of years time If if everything you thought could happen pans out.
0: It's almost like, you know, they threw out the first three years of his career and they started over with Dable and Mike Kafka in this offense. And they said, okay, you know, they're taking it step by step. I mean, the way the deal has been structured, that's what it kind of reminds me of. So they've got, they bought themselves another two years for sure, because there's guaranteed money in the first two years of the deal. And if he outplays it, they can rip up the deal and start all over again. But I think they also realized that they didn't really do him any favors as a franchise would not sure. put any talent around him. I mean, would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's very difficult to argue that the season that he just had is his ceiling. Like, he, there's no way he can get any better. Because immediately, if you improve the wide receivers he's throwing to, if the offensive line gets better, um, you know, four-fifths of that offensive line was a weak point last season. Andrew Thomas was the one guy playing fantastically at left tackle. The other four guys were various shades of problematic – Like, if that line gets back to average, if the receivers are above average, it should immediately transform Daniel Jones. The the only thing is we don't know by how much. You know, does that add 10% to his performance? Does that add 50% to his performance? And figuring, sort of projecting that out, I think, is, A, a very difficult thing to do, but is, like, 100% what they're basing it on. You know, they obviously think that there's a pretty good chance it has a big effect on what he can do, and therefore we're willing to give him that kind of deal.
0: What about... The situation with Saquon Barkley. I mean, next to Daniel, I can't think of another player on the team that has been such a uh, divisive force amongst the fan base. A lot of people, when Saquon was drafted number two overall in 2018, people were like, why? You know, I know I I, I understood why they did it, but I was in the camp of get trade down and get an offensive lineman. So here we are, you know, f- five years later, Saquon Barkley gets the, the franchise tag. Supposedly he's looking upwards of uh, – 14, 15 million. I don't know how true that is. But, you know, where do you see that contract situation? How do you see that playing out?
1: Yeah, Saquon's a he's a very difficult case study, because like you said, um, it was divisive from day one. The analytics people in particular were, you know, hating that as a a draft pick. Um, They wanted him to go quarterback. And the funny thing is the quarterbacks they would have been looking at none of them worked out really Josh Allen. I don't think was ever really in that conversation, but Darnold obviously was a, a complete miss. And and so theoretically, therefore Saquon Barkley was better than um, the Sam Darnold pick. But Saquon has also kind of shown how little effect a running back can have on an offense. If nothing else is functioning If the quarterback isn't there, if the blocking isn't there, if the passing game isn't there, the running back can't carry that by himself anymore. Um, And then you get into the idea of, well, how much is too much to pay a running back? And I think the franchise tag is actually about the ceiling. You know, one year, 10 point something million dollars. That's probably about the maximum you can afford to dedicate to a running back before it becomes paying money that you're just not going to get back in terms of investment. Um, So for them to keep him around for a year and, and try and improve everything else, I think makes some sense once you've locked up Daniel Jones. I I don't think you can go to the big deal that he wants the 14 15 million dollars a year long term contract because they just can't justify that money. You know, you, you need the offensive line to be functioning. You need the money for the receivers. This 15 million dollars of salary cap flexibility we've just been talking about, well, if you then start spending more of that on a running back, now that's less money you have to positions that we know moves the needle more. So, I if I'm the Giants, I let him play out this year on this, on the franchise tag, see if he can make a huge difference in the team this season, and then probably let him walk and try and um, get younger and cheaper at the position going forward.
0: Do you also take into, into consideration his injury history? You know, when you, when you look at the overall picture.
1: Yeah. I mean, not specifically to Saquon, but running back is a position that gets injured, you know, that they, in, in a funny way, it, it's, it's hard because, you know the the kind of data and the cold, hard business side of this says you just you don't want to give a running back that second contract, particularly if it's a big one because they're they're kind of at their best in that first contract. Their durability you know reaches the end towards that time as well. And every now and again you're going to find an Adrian Peterson that's just an absolute genetic freak and can you know come off an ACL and lead the league and rushing and win MVP and those kinds of things and do it for a decade, but they're so rare. And most of the time, you're going to end up with the Zeke Elliott contract, which is almost immediately you're lamenting giving him that deal and kind of you're now stuck with it for a while until you can get rid of him. So, but the flip side of that is like no position deserves to be paid more money than running backs. Those guys take a pounding every single game. They, you know, have the shortest careers of other positions because they just get beat up all the time. So, I think when you reach the point where you're talking about a second contract or big money, even if it's not specific to Saquon, that the, the injuries he's had, you just have to be aware that, like at this point, like a lot of tread has been taken off the tires, you know, and you, you're running the risk that that is uh, an eventuality after you sign that deal.
0: Yeah, I I'm curious to see how that deal plays out for sure. The other free agent that hasn't gotten a lot of airplay kind of been on the back burner because of the Daniel Jones and Saquon uh, contract (laughs) situations, Julian Love, the safety, Mm. Um, depending on who you believe Julian Love is, is looking for upwards of 8 million plus Um, I've seen numbers thrown around from the giants perspective, five to 7 million. What is his value? And if they can't reach a deal, I mean, how catastrophic would that be given the depth that might be at free agency and the depth that might be in the draft?
1: Yeah, he's definitely a player that I think they would like to bring back. And I think they should try and bring back. He was, he's been a good player for them. He's been a versatile player in that secondary can do a lot for them and fit in, in a lot of different ways. And that's always a useful thing to have in the secondary, but you're right. It it does come down to valuation and, and what exactly you put on that. Um, I think when you're starting to get up towards $10 million, it's maybe a little bit rich for him. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be a difficult one because there are definitely safeties available in the free agent group. Um, it's it's maybe not the best group of safeties in the draft, but depending on where they pick, uh, whether they trade back or not, they might end up getting a guy that could come in and be a day one starter. It would be a gamble you know, to let him walk out the door for the sake of saving a few million dollars. Maybe they end up doing it, but I think he's the kind of core defensive player you try and build around and try and keep in the, the building.
0: Sam, final question for you. If you're general manager, Joe Shane, what's your plan of attack come Monday when the legal tampering period opens? Do you sit tight? Do you go bargain bin? Do you try to make one big splash? And if so, where?
1: I'd like to kind of take the approach that we talked about earlier with the, the Bengals last year, like identify the offensive lineman that you really like on in the interior. Um, maybe you're not going to go for, for giant money and start talking to those guys right away. Like you, there, there's no reason to wait. One of the, the guys I think that would be a phenomenal signing for them is Isaac Sayamalu um, from the Eagles. Now, not only do you bring in a potential starter can make your offensive line better, but you also we in Philadelphia, <laughs> that, that can't be a bad thing for a team in that division. So, you know, I, I think they should be immediately manning the phones to guys like, say, Amalu. Um, you know, there's a couple of other players that, that would be intriguing options as well. And seeing if you can get those guys in quickly and not waiting until, you know, the, if Orlando Brown hits the market, he's obviously the sort of the primary um, free agent offensive lineman. Like, don't let other teams deal with that. You're not going to be in the Orlando Brown market zero in immediately on one or two upgrades you could make on the offensive line and try and get those deals over the line
0: yeah it's going to be interesting I don't think the Giants are going to be big players in free agency but they are going to probably add I think that the focus for Joe Shane is going to be to bring back some of the guys that he had last year can't bring back all of them but definitely want to upgrade certain positions but I would be surprised if they make a huge splash, kind of like what they did last year where they were bringing in guys left and right on short-term deals, you know, the cheap bargain bin type of deals. Right. So uh, with 11 projected draft picks, that's the way to go. It, it always has been. And, you know, Shane's bringing that back certainly. So going to be an interesting off season for the New York Giants. Sam Onson, thank you so much for joining us here on the On Giants podcast. Folks, you can check him out at Pro Football Focus. I'll have a link in the show notes where you can find all the information and uh, make sure you keep it here on the Locked on Giants podcast next week. Free agency starts. We'll have all the updates on everything you need to know. Everybody have a fantastic weekend and thank you for tuning in.